This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 39. And the quote of the day is from Richard Branson, who said, Every risk is worth taking as long as it's for a good cause and contributes to a good life. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And you know how I always like to take care of everybody, uh, take care of the listeners. And Aquarian Drumheads was kind enough to donate some drumheads to me to give away on the show. So I'm giving away a deep vintage kick drum head with a super kick bass ring in it. It's a 22-inch. And I also have a 14-inch Modern Vintage 2 snare head. And you could win both of those. If you sign up for the mailing list at drummersresource.com, you'll be entered to win both of those head, both of those heads, excuse me, a 22-inch deep vintage with a super kick ring on it and a Modern Vintage 2 14-inch snare head. So definitely head over to drummersresource.com, sign up for the mailing list, and like I said, you'll be entered to win those free, which is awesome. And thank you to Aquarian Drumheads for for doing that. I really, really do appreciate it. Try to win those at drummersresource.com. And the interview that we have today is an amazing interview. We have Danny Serafin, who is the drummer, the original drummer and founding member of Chicago which he, I didn't realize, sold over 130 million records, which is just an insane amount of records. And they're one of the highest-selling American bands of all time. And it's an honor to have him on the show. He's such an amazing player and a great dude and has had so much experience in the music industry. And for him to take the time out to talk to us today is is just amazing. So we're going to get right into it. Listen up, Mr. Danny Serafin. Danny, thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate you being on the show. Well, you know, I'm happy to do it, Nick. Looking forward to looking forward to doing this and you know, getting my point across to to the, to the young drummers and older drummers of the world. I like that. I like that. You uh, you definitely have some some insight to share. I'm sure from your your storied career. Um, so let's. I always like to get the backstory of how people got into drumming, and uh, so tell me how did you how did you get into into playing. Well, I started at nine years old, so I, I, I got a head start. Um, my, my uncle was a drummer, and I used to see him play at weddings and uh, family, you know, family gatherings, and um, at, so I knew at a very young age uh, what I wanted. You know, I told told my mom this, so I wanted to be a drummer, and then proceeded to beat on pots and pans in the kitchen and uh you know she could she could hear that i was a natural and she signed me up for uh drum lessons you know with the neighborhood music store and actually the guy was a good teacher you know got me started with uh you know standard you know traditional grip and uh you know some rudimental stuff and and then i started to uh what i what i really where i really learned to play what really shaped my playing, and still today has such a profound influence, is I, I, le- I almost learned to play uh, against the Gene Krupa soundtrack. Oh, really? The Gene Krupa story. Yeah, I play. I used to play with it. You know, you know, you know, like like kids do today. 
I played with the Gene Krupa soundtrack and learned his solos and played his solos and just verbatim, you know, I didn't, at that time I really didn't read. I was really young and it just really, really shaped my, uh, it shaped my playing. And, and, and ironically, when I went back and listened to I'm a man, you know, years and years later, I could hear, God, I heard some, I started listening to, you know, you go back and listen to your influences again. I started listening to Gene's stuff again, and I heard licks that I used in Amanda were actually, uh, you know, Gene Krupa licks, and, right. you know, within a different context, of course. So, you know, it was really, kind of, it really kind of shaped my playing, and it kind of, it, it kind of set me on a direction of always trying to um, fuse rock with jazz, big band, swing. Uh, there's always been a, a real element of swing in my playing. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've I've noticed that, and plus, you know, it's it's mentioned in your book as well that you know that you were, your thing was blending the two, which kind of gave you this unique feel and and sound, um, and which is which is great because a lot of the drummers from that era and even before you had like if they were playing rock, they had that rock and swing feel to it, which I think is lost in a lot of people's playing today. Would you agree? Well. Um... Yeah, I mean, I hear a lot of I hear a lot of great drummers, but a lot of them can't swing, right? And and don't you know it's 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 a it's a it's definitely um, a missing element that's uh, you know, and and they want to swing because it's one of the to me it's one of the coolest things a drummer can do, uh, even even in the midst of playing rock, you know, especially mm-hmm. in the midst of playing rock, you know, it adds an it just adds an, a flair to your playing and feel. It makes you. Uh, I was. I, I was talking to a younger drummer and who's with, who's with on DW roster with me, and mm-hmm. we were talking and, and we were talking about swing. And he was saying, "Gee, I really I can't swing." I I said, "You know, it's not as hard as you think." I said, "But I think I, I really recommend you learn it and you and you because it'll help your playing." And and he went, you know, mastered it you know, to a certain degree, and he came back and he said, "Yeah, you were right. It really did help my, all of my playing, my rock playing, everything. It's just a." Uh, because yeah, you really, when you think about it, you really can't play a shuffle unless you can a good shuffle unless you can swing. Because that's you know, right. That's kind of like the the foundation of swing is the shuffle for a rock drummer, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for for any you know country drummer, for a jazz drummer, swing you know big band, the shuffle is you know really. So and there's and there's so many the halftime shuffle. It's just so much fun. I love the swing. It's just, um, it's just. It's a, it's a, it's something that I've always embraced, and you know I, I still I'm still always trying to to fine tune it and make it better. Sure, you know I think that a, a shuffle is one of the one of the most commonly misplayed grooves. You know when I, I see it when I go out a lot, that there's doesn't seem to be a ton of people who can really shuffle really really well. You know, which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah, it is a shame, but but it's you know eventually they get eventually they come face to face with it and they have to uh, you know they have to you know they they have to you know come face to face with it and figure out what it is and, and study study the masters you know Joe Jones Buddy Rich you know uh, uh, you name it you know Max Roach mm-hmm. Gene Krupa you know and, and many more you know and, and Philly Joe Jones you know when you start you really listen to those guys they. They swung. They swung hard. They always swung hard. Oh yeah, absolutely. So now, how did you want to after you were taking lessons and you were going through all of this Gene Krupa stuff and and learning all of these uh, all these Gene Krupa riffs and 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 
grooves that he was doing. How did you start to connect the dots to playing rock and, and playing in the bands and stuff like that? Well, uh, you know, I really it, I really wasn't able to at first because of the, the quality of the bands I was playing in were really, uh, you know, I don't want to sound arrogant, and I don't mean it to be arrogant. They were below my level. By a long shot, they were just I, at my age. I just was I was pretty advanced for 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 someone my age, and I, I just it was really frustrating for me. In fact, I almost quit at one point because I just couldn't I couldn't lock in with anybody at my level. So it was really unfulfilling musically, and it was a frustration of mine. And I really you know being stuck in my neighborhood and gangs and stuff, I was really kind of trapped at at one point until I went for that. <clears throat> So I went and auditioned for the, for that band for a band by the name of Jimmy Ford and the Executives, and 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 that just changed my life because it it uh, I, I aced I aced the audition, and then I, um, I from that point on I made and that was I was 15 and a half at that point, and at that point I, I made my living as a musician, and you know it was really. Um, so then I, I met. I also, I also met up with the two two guys that would turn out to be, uh, you know, musical soulmates, and 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 we and we we were the we were the nucleus of Chicago or Chicago Transit Authority, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them was, one of them's name was Walt Parasader, who was the woodwinds player and still with Chicago, and he was studying privately at uh, DePaul University, and he was very much. He, you know, we were really close, really close then, and and it was like we were like brothers. And he, he really loved my playing, and, and he re, he thought that it would be really cool for me to study with a guy by the name of Bob Tillis, who was a famous percussionist, teacher, mm-hmm. educator, really famous in those days. He's passed away since then, but he was the head of percussion at DePaul University. He played with Art Van Dam, but he was a great, great vibe player, percussionist, and a, and a wonderful teacher. And so he. One night, uh, Bob Tillis came to hear hear us play. We were we were a cover band at the time, so he came to hear us play at a club a, play, a club called the Club Laurel in Chicago. And he we did "I'm a Man" actually, but we didn't do the drum solo at that time. We just that uh, we were doing a cover version or our version of "I'm a Man," and he he transcribed it and, and he said. He said, he said, you know, do you realize what you're playing? And I said, no, I'm just, you know, kind of. <laughs> he said, he said, he showed me, and and I said, wow, really? And he said, yeah. He said, you know, I, I feel like he said, why don't you come in? You know, I was a, I was a high school dropout at that point. I said, going to college was wasn't in the cards. But he said, why don't you come in uh, on Tuesdays? A good day, a good day for me would be after I'm done with classes, like Tuesday at. Four thirty, five at five o'clock, whatever. I would come in and study with him, and he just elevated me to just another whole. He got me into Buddy Rich and Max Roach, and uh, he wanted me to play vibes, mm-hmm. but I want. He was starting. He wanted me to be a full-on percussionist, and that's what he envisioned for me. But I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I. I. But I, I said to him, I said, you know, at one point, I said. I don't think I'll be as great. I don't want. I don't think I can be the great drummer that I want to be and, and play vibes. It was going to divide my because it was really hard, you know. Right. And it was and I wasn't. I really wasn't able to do both. To just focus on both, and you know, even though it's not that I didn't. I was at that point. I was in serious woodshedding mode. But it just, you know, I have ADD, and I, I believe that that had a lot to do with the reading. And I, I, he got me to be, to be a good reader, but 
I just said I didn't think I could do both and be a great drummer. And, and I probably was right, but I do regret, I kind of regret not learning uh, a melodic instrument, you know, mm-hmm. because I think it's really good for, I think it's really good for musicians. Absolutely, all, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, it's, but at the same time, I, I, I think in a sense I was really right, you know, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been as good a drummer. And, um, that was what was most important to me was to, uh, you know, to to be like Buddy Rich, to be a Buddy Rich, to be a Gene Krupa, mm-hmm. and, and and truth be told, there are none of there are drummers that play in that caliber that play instruments other than drums. I mean, Lionel Hampton was kind of like that, but and he but he was nobody rich, you know. Right. Although I love Lionel Hampton, don't get me wrong, you know I loved him. It certainly could be done, and it may, I, I don't know whether I was being lazy, you know. Right. I didn't have. I had a good. I had a work ethic, but I, I wasn't a good student at all. Okay, mm-hmm. school and me did not get along. But with him, I mean, Bob and you know, Mr. Tillis inspired me so much that it changed. It changed me. It really transformed me into a a, a real a real musician, mm-hmm. and and it taught me how to be a real musician. So that was really something that was important to him. That he you know he wanted to he wanted me to be a great musician and. You know, I have him to thank for that. You know, for transforming me. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know, I I I know what you mean with the with the playing vibes and playing marimba and stuff like that. And it's you know, I I played it in college for a little while, and it was kind of the same thing with me that I, you know, I could play it, but I just wasn't. Maybe I don't know if maybe I didn't enjoy it or or what it was, but it was definitely hard. You know, and I played I played piano too, and still the marimba was just you know, or playing vibes or something was was really hard for me, and I was like, ah, I would just rather concentrate on playing the drums. So, but I, I you, you get it, you get yeah, it. Yeah, I totally, yeah. I totally understand it. Going back to when you were saying that you got that interview when you were fifteen and a half, wasn't there? Didn't something happen before that with like with the gang and? And it was in your book, and I can't remember the story exactly, and where you were kind of like, all right, I need to make a decision here. You know, I can't be like running around with this gang. Or was that late? Was that later on? No, that was that was that was around that was around the same time. Without a doubt, it was around the same time. Um, I uh, I was heading in a bad direction. Without a doubt, the guy, the big gang, the, gang, the street gang I was running with was was pretty nasty and it, and it was dangerous. It was getting dangerous and guns were starting to be used and knives and, and baseball bats and uh, gang fights all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it was, it was very, uh, it was a scary time in my life. And I, and I, it even, I was even starting to get worried because I quit school. I had got, I gotten in a really bad car accident with my cousin and my back was really messed up and I was working in a, I was working, I tried, at first I worked in a factory, didn't, a couple of weeks, and didn't last with that, I, and then I and then I went to work for an appliance store called Polk, P-O-L-K, Polk Brothers, it used to be a huge chain in Chicago, and I was moving refrigerators and TVs, and oh God, with my back and stuff, so, man, it was pretty grim, and you know, I, I really, and I was getting disillusioned with playing, I'd get, was, I basically in my mind, in my mind, I, 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 I said, I'm, I, I can, I'm going to quit playing. It doesn't. There's no. There's no future for me. And you know, of course, everybody was telling me that, except for my mom. My mom believed in me. But uh, the school the, before they kicked me out of school, I got. I had just gotten thrown out of high school. 
the counselor said, well, what do you want to be? I said, I want to be a drummer. She said, well, no, you'll never make it as that. There's no future in that. Why don't you go to beautician school or barber school? You know what I mean? All right. And, I, of course, I listened to them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was the kind of person, you told me you can't do something that uh, pushes me even harder to doing it. Right. So uh, I basically, you know, that thought really literally went through my head. I'm done. I said, I'm, I'm not going to play anymore. This is no good. It's like there's no future. I was depressed. Then, boom, you know, 30 seconds later, the phone rang. And this is really the uh, God's truth. And a friend of mine, who, uh, a guy who, from the neighborhood who knew how good of a drummer I was and and had recommended me to this band called Jimmy Ford and the Executives, which was Walt and Terry's band. And it was a horn band, too. And that's ironically what got me into kicking brass and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I always did anyways with the Gene Grupa record. So uh, I went and did the audition. I, I aced the audition, and then I was in the band. And, like I said, that changed my life, transformed my life from from the time I uh, – from the time I, I uh, you know, I, I got into that band and so, you know, to my to modern day, I made my living as a musician. So, and it pulled me off the street. At that point, uh, I wasn't I wasn't running with the gangs anymore. I still saw the guys, and you know, they kept they'd come to some of my gigs and cause trouble and fights and stuff. And it was still pretty crazy. But for the mo- all intents and purposes, I was done. Hmm. And it's amazing that you know how old were you when you started playing? Nine. Nine. It's it's just amazing that from the time that you started playing to the time that you were 15, you went through more than most people go in their whole musical career. You know, where you're you start at nine and then you go through learning all this stuff, and then you get to the point where you don't know if you can forge a career in music, and and you go through this down period, and then you know, kind of come out on top on the other side. And at this point, you were only what 16, 15 and a half, like you said. Yeah, I, I've I've always lived fast and hard. It started young, right? It started young, <laughs> and experience—a lot of experience crammed in that early years, without a doubt. Yeah, you know, but it really, it really did help me because I was—I was always with older guys because I was advanced for my age and as a musician, and and, as, and in a sense as a, as, a, as a man or a boy, young man, young man. So it was—it was—it was great, and it just—it really changed my life. And, and I try to tell this to story a lot because I think it's important for those young drummers or you know, male and female, because there's a lot of female drummers today that lose, you know, are losing hope that they're ever going to make it, that there's a place for them. Mm-hmm. Now, that's another whole issue with today, but, you know, just you just stay, you know, you stay focused and you stay, you stay the course, you know? Mm-hmm. I was lucky. I was lucky I got that phone call because, honestly, well, you know, uh, I, I don't know what would have happened to me. I was going in a really bad direction. I might have ended up in jail. I might have gotten killed. Because it was really a rough gang and it was a rough neighborhood, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so now, what advice would you have for if, or if you were, you know, up and coming, or even if you were, you know, in your in your twenties or thirties, and you were, and you were still at this and trying to make a career out of it, what would you suggest? Well, I suggested that you know you. I mean, obviously, I didn't get into it to be a star. All right. And I got into it because I love music, and I love the you know I, I still love music, and um, I get paid for traveling and all the other crap I put up with, and I play for free, you know, right, so to speak. And I just get into it for the right reasons. Don't get into it to be a rock star, or pop star. I mean, I guess if you're going to be a front per, front man singer, or you know, 
you can emulate the rock stars of today, the pop stars, but they get into it for the love of it because it's that's the gratification. The gratification you're going to get is from the music and getting better and learning. And, you know, be prepared to have second and third jobs, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the beginning because it's a very, very rough road these days. It always was, but there's not nearly as many places to play and get paid. So, you know, it's a, it's a very rough road. I, you know, I, 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 it's it's not like I don't recommend it, but there's, the music business is in a very sad state. I do think it's reinventing itself to to a degree, but it's not like it used to be for sure. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. That doesn't mean you should give up. It just means go in there with your eyes wide open, be prepared to work and learn as much as you can, and learn a melodic instrument, learn learn be, learn to be a songwriter because a lot a, a lot of the money that I make today was from song was from when I made the, the few songs I wrote co-wrote you know mm-hmm. and it's i think it, it's very important to to get involved with the songwriting aspect of it so that you get the proper because drummers contribute an enormous amount to a song and quite often are just paid like a, a session fee and that's it that's the way they used to they didn't get any points they didn't get any publishing right. and, and quite maybe some people would say they didn't deserve it but quite often we come up with parts that inspire really important parts of the song sure. and really important really important elements but uh, so it's really important you learn, you know, fine tune writing lyrics. Get you know, be, you know, learn how to do that. Learn how to, you know, maybe learn a melodic guitar or keyboard. It wouldn't hurt to learn basic guitar or keyboard so you can write your own songs or at least start them. You know, so mm-hmm. any the, as much as you can learn, learn to read, play with a click, be 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 as disciplined as possible. Have fun with it. You got to have fun, but there's an element of discipline involved, especially with being a pro. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Now, how did you, how did you work it out with uh, with Chicago when you guys were writing tunes? Were you if you if if you weren't physically the guy that that wrote the song, um, were you getting publishing and points on that, or were you just paid for the sessions? Well, in the beginning, it was just, we were just well, we were making a record royalty. Uh, we had royalties, artist royalty on, right. the, on the on the album. But after a while, we started. We formed something called the Chicago Music Inc. Publishing Trust, and, and it was ten percent of Every song, every, uh, the publishing, the publisher's side uh, went to this, you know, went into this uh, to everybody in the band for their contributions to each song, which was their contributions were were, were very, really, there were major contributions mm-hmm. made by all of us to, to the songs written by Robert Lamb and Jimmy Panko and Terry Kath and Peter Cetera and, and myself. So, I mean, it was really, it was very much a, a communal community uh, endeavor in a lot of respects. I mean, the songs came from the writers, and, and for the most part, the lyrics, but uh, there was a lot of collaboration. Mm-hmm. So. Now, speaking of Chicago, we were talking about how, um, how you get this call when you're 15, and so you start playing professionally. How does that lead to the formation of Chicago? Well, uh, yeah, we were. The band was called Jimmy Ford and the Executives. It was a horn band, and it was really. I mean, it was a really great band, really great players all across the board. <clears throat> and it, it was Dick Clark's road band, so it was. You know, that, that's how good the band was. It, mm-hmm. it played for all of his cal. It played played for his cal- cavalcade of stars tours and stuff for many years. I only got to do some of those dates. And uh, ironically, about a year after I joined, this Walt, T- Terry, and myself got fired. From uh, from the band because they merged with a another horn band to create like a a local super group so to speak and they were a really great band it was called the Mob mm-hmm. and 
Walt, all of a sudden, Walt and Terry and I were out of a job, and then we got we got uh, invited to join a, a cover band called The Missing Links. You know, they were glad to have us because they knew how good we were, and, and we really, we really upped the level of that band, and and we, uh, you know, we were a cover band for a year and a half with that on that deal, and made made more money with that band than we did with Jimmy Ford and the Executives, and. And then that band was starting, ran it kind of running its course. It really wasn't going anywhere. It was just a cover band. It was just for money. <clears throat> and uh, it just was really starting to go downhill. So uh, Walt, Walt was getting winding down. He was getting his degree in clarinet, and he was being groomed for the, for the second chair of the Chicago Symphony. And um, he, you know, he, his intent was, at that point, was he, he just got married, and his intent was to quit playing clubs and stuff and, and basically focus on being a, a, a symphony player. Mm-hmm. And Terry, Terry played. Terry played bass. By the way, Terry was a bass player in the bands, the two bands that I was in with him. An amazing bass player. But Walt and I knew how good, how great of a guitar player he was. You know, Walt turned me on. He said, "You got to hear Terry play guitar," and I did. And you know, it was, it was, you know, incredible. So, you know, Terry was. Terry had gotten an offer to play, go out to the West Coast with a band called the the Illinois Speed Press who had been signed to a production contract by uh, a, a colleague and a friend of Walt and Terry's and mine by the name of James William Gersio, who produced, he was kind of a pretty famous guy in Chicago because he produced the Buckinghams, some hits for the Buckinghams. He produced he produced uh, the Chad and Jeremy. It was uh, an, in, you know, an English duo, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a folky. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in the '60s, they had quite a few hits. Yeah. So he, you know, Terry. Look, so and basically, in one fell swoop, it looked like I was going to lose my two musical soulmates, Walt and Terry. And I got, I got desperate, and I said, I, you know, I started thinking, thinking, and I said, I said to Walt, I said, man, you know, I don't, I don't want you, to, want to stop playing. I want to, I want to keep playing with you. I want to, you know, we've got a great thing going here. I don't want to lose you, you know, so to speak. And I said, why don't we put together a, a horn band? And, and and of all the best players in the city, you know, we'll put together an all-star horn band, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, be a. At that point, it was a six-piece band. We didn't have a bass player because it was in, uh, a, a guy playing B3 and bass pedals was really in vogue in those days, you know, mm-hmm. and B3 organ. So uh, he, he, you know, he said he, he said he had to talk to his wife, which he did, and she she gave him the green light. He, you know, she he he still wanted to perform. He loved to perform, so. We then cornered Terry and said, Terry, you know, instead of going out to the West Coast playing bass with these guys, why don't you stay here and play guitar with us? And Terry took about five minutes, and he said, oh, man, I'm in. I don't want to leave you guys anyways. I'll tell those guys I'd rather do it with you guys. This is going to be a great band, you know. Nice. Well, let's do it. So that was the, the first kind of CTA, you know, the first formation of CTA, the first, you know, incarnation of CTA, so to speak. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a great it was a, you know again a de- defining moment in my life and theirs as it turned out to be because then Walt Walt knew James Panko from uh, DePaul University and he, he enlisted James Jimmy and and Lee Lock, Lee Lock named the trumpet player had been hanging out with Terry and and, and set in with with the missing links and we we brought we brought Lee in we found we found Robert Lamb we called his name in those days was Bobby Charles. Mm-hmm. 
and we uh, he had a chance as a stage name. I mean, he, probably because he played uh, well at your piano and sang. He was so soulful. We found him on the south side and, and got. You know, he had never played. He had a B three or an M three, and he never played bass pedals. But he said, "I, I you know, I, I'll learn. I'll give it a try." So that was the the nucleus of uh, CTA. So when you guys started, CTA. you didn't. When you guys started, you didn't have a bass player. No. No, never knew that. For six months, the first six months of the band, we we played without a bass player. You know, Robert played bass pedals. Right. It was really an in, it was an in thing in Chicago in those days. Man, I still you know? that's my that's my favorite sound. Anyway, you know, I'm I'm into all the all the organ stuff. So I love you know Jimmy Smith and Brother Jack McDuff and and Joey oh, DeFrancesco yeah. and all that. So that's yeah, what, that's I right up my that. alley. Yep. So, you know, so you start this band, and how old were you at the time? Uh, 19. 19? Yeah, I think I was 19. It was, yeah, it was March 1967. So you start this band, and after a while you start to, to pick up steam. When did you realize that this was really going to be this huge thing. I mean, I, to to date, I mean, how many records have you guys sold? You know, over a well, hundred million. The numbers, but a hundred and thirty million albums, I think, or records. So it was albums, CDs, a lot. Right you know, now, when supposedly, like, supposedly the second highest selling American band, of, the chart, highest charting band of all time. I don't know if it's the second highest selling now with the with the, with the Eagles and other you know other acts, but you know. A lot of, Behind the Beach Boys, we were the highest charting band, you know. And so, at what point did you, which is just amazing. So, I've, you know, congratulations on that. That is, a, that is no small feat by, by any means. Um, but at what point did you realize that it could be that big, that it could, it could be this, this huge force? Uh, well, it took, it didn't, I didn't. I mean, I knew we had something special right away after our first rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Okay, I knew we had something special, but it just you know it took it was you know we we had to go through you know we we found Peter Cetera you know he was we played a gig with his band which was called the Exceptions which was the top local band in the city and word we got word that he was leaving the band or being fired or it was he was it was it was gone bad with them and and I talked to Walt and you know the guys in the band said we got to grab him man he's he, what a great singer! We need that high voice, you know, and and he's a great, he's a great bass player too. I mean, people don't realize what a great bass player Peter Peter was, or he is. You know, still could be. He doesn't play bass anymore, unfortunately, which is a shame. Um, but uh, so I, we got I got into Peter. I got I, I you know I got Peter. I cornered Peter and I badgered him for a few days, and he finally he finally acquiesced. Because there was everybody, everybody in the city was after him. Every man in the city was after him. So, because right. he was such a great singer, yeah, he was such a great singer. He had a reputation of being a prima donna, which which is somewhat true, but and, and I don't mean that he's just such a great singer. And he's not really. He just comes kind of comes off like that. He's a great guy. So, um, so then, then we that that really kind of set the tone. I knew. Once we got Peter in the band, I knew we were like a force. I knew we were a force to be reckoned with. And then just it was a natural, you know, we we, we uh, started playing. We were playing clubs in Chicago. We were a cover band. And then we, we and by Jim Gersio's urged us to start doing original arrangements of our of our cover material. Mm-hmm. 
which we did, and we started doing, you know, kind of like Vanilla Fudge right. was doing. And we, and then from there we graduated to our own material, and then we started getting, the problem was we started getting fired at all the clubs we were playing. You know? Oh, really? So, yeah. Why, so because, we, because you were doing the original arrangement? Yeah, because we went from doing cover material to doing, you know. And so, you know, we just, uh, we called Jim Grissio because his, his, the whole plan was he was going to bring us out to the West Coast. That was his whole promise to us. So we, um, you know, we, we told him, you know, if you're going to bring us out, then I think you better do it soon because we're starving here. You know, right. and we're, we got guys that were married. I was married, um, you know, so, you know, it was just, a, and he did to his word. He, he you know, he, he, he lived to, he, he, he kept his word and he brought us out and, uh, it was a slow process and to tell the whole story it would take more than an hour. So if people <laughs> want to read my book, they'll get the whole story. Of the rise and the, not really fall, but there was some ups and downs for sure. Right. And then of course my my you know the you know the different the different uh, changes that went took place in my life during the different eras of the band. You're talking about 23 years, you know. Mm-hmm. And so. and the book that you're talking to was called Street Player. It's it's uh. It's called yeah my book my book is called Street Player, my Chicago story. And it is—it's a great book. I, you know, we were talking off air that uh, that I read it um, a, a few months ago, and it's just a—it really is. I mean, you you go through it by the end of the. It's funny doing this interview because by the end of the of the book, I felt like I knew you, and and uh, it's. I mean, it's very well written, but it's it's so. I mean, there's a lot of information in there, and you can tell that that you didn't really, you know, you didn't hold anything back, and and really opened up. And told the story from your perspective. It's such a it's it's an awesome book. I I, I just I can't say enough good things about it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So if you're out there listening, do yourself a favor, pick up a, a copy of his book. You'll you will not be let down. I promise you. So you said that. So you were in Chicago for, you know, what twenty five years. Yes, roughly. So what was what would you say are some of your your favorite memories or your your favorite uh, accomplishments that you have with Chicago? Well, I mean, uh, the, the just I think the uh, the longevity of the band, you know, and the staying power of the music is probably you know my you know one of my biggest sources of pride. The fact that the music after 40... Well, the first album was released in 69. So, I think you're talking about... Let's see. 19... I'm going to do a calculator because I was 1969. You know, today is... You're talking 45 years. Right. (laughs) That's a long time. That is a long time. That really makes me feel old. You're talking so... (laughs) You're talking, uh, yeah, 16, yeah, 16, 45 years after that record was released, it still sounds great. It just mm-hmm. got inducted into the, it got inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame finally. Awesome. And you know, one of these, one of these days, I do believe we will get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, I, I'm not losing sleep over it, but it would be nice. It would be nice. I'm not going to lie about it. Right. I'm not going to say, well, gee, I don't want it. I don't even care. You know, I, you know. Uh, 
So I'm not quite sure how how you wouldn't be inducted. I'm not quite sure either. I'm not, but but people aren't quite sure why we haven't been inducted. <laughs> right, right. What and what? What is it? Twenty years or twenty five years after your first record that you're eligible? Probably. I, I have no idea. I don't even know what the eligibility is, but we're well past it. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I think it's either. I think it's twenty or or twenty five years that. Uh, yeah. You have to release. You had to have released your first record. Yeah. It's a. Quite a while. Well, you'll get there. I, I've no, uh, I've no doubt about that. Absolutely. So now, if you have, if you were somebody right now that was putting, you know, putting a band together, um, because I know there were some things that that you experienced with Chicago um, that either left a sour taste in your mouth, or that maybe you feel like you could or could not have prevented. Um, so what advice would you have for people that are in bands to, to sort of look out for and to think about if the band actually ends up being successful and goes on for years? Well, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's a tough question. I don't, I don't really think, I mean, I think you gotta, you gotta make sure you're, you know, uh, an equal member or, or, or your membership, your, your ownership of the name, if you are an actual member of the band is, 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 is secure within the corporate structure i mean it's that's that's a really tough question to answer because you know it's it's so like how do you watch out for that because relationships go bad it's just is is the nature of life right and when they when they go bad and when they go bad they can get ugly and and that's that is the problem but um you know i have i i you know it it went ugly for 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 me but i don't even want to get into that that's another thing if people want to really know about that Mm -hmm. that's my book i'm not that's a that's a long, drawn-out explanation. But you know, I think you just got to stay on the high road, and treat people the way you want you you would you would want to be treated. And 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 you know, don't surround don't surround yourself with dishonest people. You know, sure. don't 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 you know. And you, you could your you know use your instincts. It's it's that's a question I, I make. It, it's really hard to. I can't give people advice on, on how right. not to get screwed. You know, you, you first of all have a good attorney. Have a good attorney and make sure you're protected legally um, with ownership and you know being paid. You know your royalties and don't give away your publishing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know if you have to sell it or and keep your right at your side, but you're getting paid a decent amount of money. It's a different. That's a different story. Right. Right. There's a chance you regret it once you do it, but. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because sometimes you think that, you know situations come up where you you know you really need money. Um, but anyway, that's another whole podcast. Sure. <laughs> the legal aspect, and I I recommend you you know probably find a a, a music attorney would be a perfect it would probably a lot more um, capable of of uh, you know giving a really t- tangible you know, useful answer to musicians. I mean, I just think you've got to protect yourself legally at all times. And that doesn't mean you've got to be paranoid, but just, you know, common sense, you know. And I know, you know, for you being in this industry for for so long that you've you've seen a lot of things and and heard a lot of things and, you know, I've seen stories and, you know, that's what I was really saying of of things that you've seen or things that people should watch out for and, you know, not necessarily specific legal advice or, or anything like that. Right. No, no, I, I get it. No, I get it. No, I'm not, you know, I just, uh, again, there's, you know, is, you know, have a, have, you know, have a good attorney in your corner 
uh, try to have one that's a friend because they're really expensive attorneys, and obviously, quite often it's a, it's an unnecessary expense because you're not making any money anyways. So, right. you know, you're you're spending you're spending money if, uh, on something that's not going to make you any money. So, mm-hmm. but that's where the that's where the where the catch twenty two is because you know you just um, you you know you 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 need the legal help, but you know, the project has to go so much further and, you know, quite often you have no idea where it's going to go and quite often it doesn't go anywhere. So spending thousands of dollars, but you know, if you, you know, if you can find one that's a friend and there are a lot of younger attorneys that will give you good advice and get you set up, you know, so that you're, you're protected. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely want to have your, uh, your legal affairs and your business affairs in order. I definitely agree with that. I lucked out a, a good friend of mine as a, uh, as a sports and entertainment lawyer that I, I grew up with, so he's always he's always getting phone calls from me, and I'm asking him, you know, different questions. <laughs> so, yeah. but definitely get you know definitely get your business and and legal affairs in order. So moving moving forward, let's talk about some stuff that you have going on now, and and where people can hear new music from you and, and get more information about you. Well, I have my. Uh... The band that I'm performing with, or have been with since 2006, was called Ironically CTA. It's California Transit Authority, and uh, it's it's a it's a band put together and kind of cut from the same cloth as the original CTA. It's really really an all-star band. And as of late, uh, I'm performing with my former bandmate Bill Champlin, which is a story in and of itself because we were we didn't talk for 20 plus years. After I was fired from Chicago, which is which is a long story, and and again, like my book is really the best source of detailed information about all that. But Bill and I are really good friends again, and I'm very happy about it. And we're making good music together. He's he's not necessarily a permanent member of the band. I mean, he really is, he's as much as he wants to play with us, he's welcome. And as much as you know, it's uh, people hire they hire it's a separate package when they hire when they when they hire us with Bill. But so we have Bill Champlin. Uh, and we have Larry Braggs, the former lead singer of Tower of Power. Who is, so vocally, the band is amazingly strong. We have a guitar player, one of the great guitar players in the world, in my opinion. His name is Mark Bonilla, who's one of the founding members of CTA with me. And Ed Roth, another world-class keyboard player, who uh, was one of the founding members of, CTA, of the new CTA. And uh, on bass, we have Travis Davis, Who's a really fine singer, bassist, and uh, we we usually pick we have, we usually pick up a horn section in whatever city we're playing in or region, and we we take that horn section with us. Um, kind of the economics of today, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but but it works out. It works out. Not as good as if we had a we had a horn section full time. They would sound better, but these these are great great players and they do a good job. So the band and, and occasionally. Not on every gig, but occasionally I have a, a percussionist, and you know, sometimes it's Luis Conte or mm, nice. uh, uh, R- R- Ramon Islas, and, and uh, on the first uh, DVD, the Modern Drummer DVD, Walter Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, when I play the East Coast, uh, God, there's so many great players. I mean, when I play the East Coast, uh, there's there's guys that we use. And so it's a lot of fun. The band is just a labor of love for me, and anybody who hears it loves the band. I don't know if you've heard the band live yet, but it's 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 really a force. I've uh, I've seen some videos. I've never seen you guys live, but I've uh, I've mm-hmm. de- I've checked out some videos. 
So it's a it's a killing band, and I think it's I think it's cool because it probably sounds different every time with if you're using different players all the time. You know, so that yeah. Well, the nucleus of the band is pretty solid and mm-hmm. has been consistent. But you're right; there's different people that move out, there, different vocalists, and you know, I guess in the horn section. You know, they're playing horn, they're playing charts, but they they definitely uh, some horns, some sections are better than others. But we have we've got some really great horn sections: our West Coast section, our East Coast section, our Midwest section. <clears throat> now we have a Southwest section. It's really crazy, <laughs> and they're all good. Damn, so, it's good. You know, are you, you know, are you touring all... a lot with that band? Well, um. Honestly, not as much as I would like to be, to be honest no. with you. It's maybe one or two gigs a month, you know, okay. which is, you know, I need to be, this band should be working constantly because it's a great band. But, you know, it's, it's every, the situation right now is there's a lot of us fighting for the same real estate out there as far as gigs, right. casinos and uh, fairs and, you know, clubs, certain clubs that can't afford, you know, it's not a cheap, it's not cheap. We don't come cheap, so right. it's like, you know. And it's just a, it's, it's we don't work as much as we should, but we're, but it's building, so right, you right. never know. Well, I was selfishly asking just because I wanted to know if yeah, you guys were, it would be in the New York looking, area. We're, I you're located in Hoboken, right? We're, uh, we're playing a benefit in, in the, our next East Coast gig. Is we're playing a benefit in uh, Waterbury, Connecticut, uh, so on June 28th. So I mean, if that's close to you, it's, it's, it's a benefit for breast cancer. Oh, awesome. So if you come support, come support the cause and hear the band, you'll love it. You'll Absolutely. love the band. Yeah. I was actually just in, I was in Connecticut uh, uh, last week to see Sean Pelton and Jim Riley. They did a clinic up at the Connecticut Drum Show. So, uh, so do, are you familiar with Dylan Wissing? He's a... Uh, mm. He's a he's a no. studio drummer. He's an Aquarian artist. I just realized you were you're an Aquarian guy. Yeah, I love Aquarian. Me drum too. Heads. They make they make great drum heads. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't realize that uh, that you and I were on the same roster, which is cool. So yeah. Um, so I went up there with with uh, with Dylan and and checked out the thing. So Connecticut is definitely close. So I'm gonna find out the details about that, and everybody else can find out the details for it as well. It's, is it it's open to the public? I'm guessing. Yes, it is. Okay. It's, okay. A, it's called Are You Dense? It's, a, it's for um, it's for the foundation breast breast care, breast cancer awareness foundation called Are You Dense? A R E R U Dense D A D E N S E and and the you know it's 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 really worthy cause and looking forward to doing it. Awesome, and they can find out more information at CTA the band. Dot com. There's a, I'm on the site yeah. right now, and there's some there's yeah. all the information on there, and it's in Waterbury, Connecticut, on June 28th. So, and if you'd like to learn more about Danny and about CTA, go to ctatheband.com, or you can purchase his book uh, through Amazon, or can you buy it through the uh, through the CTA the Band website as well? Yeah. Yes. And if you buy it through <laughs> if you buy it through the website, I personalize it. So. All right, so let's rewind. Just go to the website and buy it, and uh, and you can get it personalized by Danny. And I'm telling you right now, pick up the book. It's it's a great book. It has a ton of information in there. And Danny has the way that he tells the story of Chicago and and how it formed, and uh, his his exit and what he has done since. It's just it's a it's a great read for anybody that's that loves music. So definitely check it out. And Danny, thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. Absolutely, I I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. It was uh, it was great, and and you know I hope to hope to see. Hopefully, I'll see you in, in uh, Waterbury. I look forward to meeting you, my friend. And thanks for having me on. 
Absolutely. It was my pleasure, and, uh, and I'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, have a great day. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. You too. So that was the amazing Danny Serafin from Chicago. And if you want to learn more about Danny, check out CTAtheband.com. And I highly recommend the book Street Player. It's a great read. So definitely check that out if you're if you're you want to learn more, not just about Chicago, but just it's just a good book. It's just a good music book. That's all I can say about it. And, uh, you know, check that out. CTAtheband.com. You can check us out. DrummersResource.com. And if you want to try to win those Aquarian drum heads, sign up for the mailing list at DrummersResource.com and you will be entered to win the drum heads. And check us out on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash DrummersResource on Instagram at DrummersResource and on Twitter at DrummersRSource. And until next time, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.